We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have referred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Just a couple of days after we get the funky music, we end up getting the sad music. This was a bad loss. This is a bad day. This is a bad moment for the Denver Nuggets fans as the Nuggets drop a game. Who saw this one coming? Not me. This is the bad look at us. Look at us meme. Um, the Nuggets drop a game 125 to 121 to the Atlanta Hawks at home. A loss that, in my opinion, is as bad as any loss that they had last year. And that's, you know, we're 10 games, only 10 games into the season, but Denver racking up sort of. Um, some concerning moments. I think now that we can look at this team, 10 games, a 10 game sample size in, we can kind of talk about like, you know, this loss is no longer just a, oh, you know, these things happen or whatever. There is a little bit of that. Trey Young did go off. And I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to try to contextualize that because that is a part of the story. Trey Young went off and sometimes you can't do anything about it, but that wasn't the only thing. If Denver would have played hard, played well, played beautiful, I think then then you can say, okay, you just got beat. But tonight they went up against a team that wasn't very good, even with Trey Young going off for what they did, and they still dropped the one at home. So, of course... Um, welcome everybody to the DNVR podcast. This is part of the broader DNVR network, um, where you can subscribe for $3 and 74 cents a month. You get a free t-shirt when you do. Um, and I'm your host, Adam Matez, as I do after every single game, or at least after, uh, after most games, I'm going to be providing my notes. I have an extensive notebook from this game. Sometimes bad games give you even more notes than good games. So I have a lot of notes to go over in detail. If you're new to the show, I like to break down not just what happened in the game from like a 10,000 foot view, but also get into the weeds. We'll talk about some of the X's and O's and some of the elements um, uh, of what the Nuggets were, what was happening in the game. You know, kind of on a deeper level, I always watch games twice, um, at least twice, usually usually only twice, but sometimes more than that. This one, I just finished the rewatch, and you always get a little bit more out of the rewatch, so I want to share the notebook notes that I have from that. There's also a companion piece to this show that goes up on DNVR for subscribers only that has some video clips um, to share. I think there was like eight or nine. Let me pull them up here. I, I, had, I had a handful of them. Let's see. One, yeah, I had nine. So nine video clips that will go up into to tomorrow's list, probably be up sometime around noon. Um, But let's get into it. Um, The first three minutes of this game were absolutely perfect. 
And when I say perfect, 12 to 0, the Nuggets looked like the best three minutes of this entire season occurred at the very beginning of this game. When the Nuggets, the ball was popping, guys were moving, the energy was phenomenal. Um, defensively, guys were locked in, and then guys were locked in on the offensive glass. I'm going to talk about this a lot more, but one of Denver's you know positive traits, one of the things that makes them such a well made them. I have to speak in the past tense. What made them such a dynamic offense was that they were able to really stretch you out along the three point line and then grab the boards when you were stretched out. So they'd make you cover a lot of ground, and then they would crash the boards when you um you know, if they were to miss. And for the first few minutes, it looked like Denver was back. I, there was this great feeling when Atlanta was forced to call their first time out at nine to zero. There's this great feeling of like, oh man, they're back. The Nuggets are back. Two game winners against tough teams. Um, now back at home, this is it. You know, the Nuggets are in it. It was not to be that, that, that start. So Atlanta goes to a timeout. They come back out on the court. Denver gets a stop and then drains a three. And you're just like, oh man, you're riding high. But sadly, it wasn't a sign of things to come. Jamal Murray, I thought, despite the numbers, the numbers were okay. I thought Jamal Murray was pretty bad in this game. I mean, one of the only number that really sticks out is Trey Young, the guy he was guarding for at least parts of the night going off. But, you know, he got hurt in that last game, and we don't know what it was, some type of foot injury. And I thought he looked like he was laboring in this game. He did not seem to be 100%. Jamal Murray's a warrior. He goes hard. Um, He did finish with 18 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds, so not the worst, you know, sort of stat line for him. And he was a plus 10, one of the few few players on the Nuggets roster in fact only one of two players him and Paul Millsap who were a positive in this game but um I you know I didn't think he looked good and um especially just moving around like from a mobility standpoint so something to kind of monitor with him if he is not a hundred percent that's obviously going to hurt Denver the Nuggets defense slipped a little bit so you know they go up 12-0 and you think okay Denver can really create some separation. My prediction coming into this game, which I was dead wrong about, was that this was going to be the Michael Porter Jr. game, that this would be a game Denver was constantly up 10 to 15 points, and that would allow Malone to play Michael Porter Jr. a little bit. Michael Porter Jr. would play with a little bit less pressure and maybe get going, and this would be the first breakout game, you know, maybe 15 points and just kind of have some moments. Unfortunately, that was not the case. That was not how the game ended up going. He did play a few minutes, but it was always a stressful sort of – situation that he was in the game but the Nuggets defense slipped and they started giving up a couple easy looks and sometimes with a team like Atlanta that is not good again I want to reiterate this they were not the Atlanta Hawks are not a good team they're okay Trey Young might be able to carry them to the playoffs because he is that good he's a special player but they as a team are not that good and sometimes when you give a bad team a little bit of of easy looks then they get into rhythm and I thought when Denver was up 12 nothing and the defense was locked in and you you know you kind of knew yeah you're this is going to be a long night you send that message and maybe you the, the Hawks get a little discouraged, but Denver let their foot off the, gla- the gas. Um, and then they started doing some weird things with their shot selection. So I mentioned the ball was popping. This happened at Denver a lot over the last couple years. This was one of the things that um, I think prevents Denver from being a really elite offense is when things are going well, guys start to get a little bit trigger happy because it's like, oh man, we're rolling right now. I want to keep it rolling. Will Barton had one, a transition three. Jamal Murray had a couple that I just thought, man, that's not the shot for that moment. And then the biggest culprit of them all Gary Harris tonight just some weird so uh, missed some wide open shots but also took some really crazy ones he was 4 of 15 from the field and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about him later because to me he's a huge storyline for the Nuggets right now 
Um, there was a play, though, and this will be on the list, I believe. Jamal Murray just sort of jogged back, and this was this was the beginning of the turning point because Trey Young didn't have a very loud first couple minutes. But there was a play where Denver misses a shot. Jamal Murray jogs back on defense, and Trey Young, from about 10 feet further than Jamal, runs and passes Jamal. Then Jamal speeds up and fouls him for an and one. And again, it's one of those things where you're, you're rolling, you're up big, and then you give a player an opportunity to go to the foul line for an and one that just that allows him to get his feet set, get a free throw going, get you know start feeling a little bit good about himself. And and I thought that's what happened to the Nuggets. Just little moments like that that gave life. And then the next thing you know, it, it's completely out of control on you. Paul Millsap was cooking in the first half, so this was one of the positives. Um, you know, he uh, I think he had 11 points in that first and a couple of really good buckets continues to knock down the three. He was, I think, the best Nuggets player today. Monte Morris had a, had a solid game as well. Will Barton had some moments, but six for 11 for Paul Millsap, 19 points, six rebounds, two assists. You know, an efficient game from him. He wasn't the problem. Again, he was a plus one. He was not the problem, I thought, um, for the Nuggets tonight. But it was nice to but he might have disguised after that first initial 12-0 run, he might have disguised a little bit of the that Denver's offense was settling into because he was hitting so many tough shots. Denver started, so I mentioned the fast breaks. I mentioned some of the bad shot selection. Then they started giving up offensive rebounds. Um, And this is, again, once Trey Young started really putting pressure on the defense, I don't think he did this for the first six minutes, but once he got going, Denver was in a constant state of recovery. They were constantly getting blown by on the perimeter or having to step out further on the pick and roll to guard and contain Trey Young, and then they weren't in position to rebound. And this is what a really dynamic offense and a dynamic offensive talent can do to you. And this is what the Denver Nuggets were not doing. Atlanta's not a good rebounding team. So for Denver to get out-rebounded tonight against this team is really surprising 45 to 40 um, really surprising because this is an area where Denver should have dominated this matchup is on the boards Um, Jokic we got to talk about him too because to me it's funny, Nate Silver put out a thing that, you know, Jokic is always somebody that their model, I think it's called Raptor they have an all-encompassing stat there's you know, Jokic always shines in their model. Even you know, even when it doesn't necessarily look like he's been great, every single year he shined. Even his rookie year, well, he's an average player according to their model this year. And it's funny because you know he's always been a guy that eye test and stats don't necessarily always match up. As for most people, I think for the more trained eyes, yes. For the but for the casual fan, no. But this year. You know, the eye test is telling you Jokic has looked even worse than usual, and it's no surprise that he shows up as this really, you know, average-looking player. He got a one-on-one post-up against Bruno Fernando tonight that he just could not – he couldn't move Bruno Fernando, and then he could not create a good shot for himself. He ends up taking a really tough sort of jump hook, and this one of three – I'm going to keep coming back to it every single time that he did this, but um, it was one of three times where you're like, okay, Yoke, the outside game's not working. Go inside and try to force the defense, and he couldn't do it. Atlanta was guarding him straight up a lot in the post tonight, and Jokic could not score against, you know, Alex Lynn, um, Bruno Fernando. Even he even had one against Jabari Parker. So Jokic just right now not in it. And I think there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in this podcast about, okay, you know, Malone can make this adjustment or the team can make this adjustment. But at the end of the day, Jokic being, you know, a shell of what he was last season and really throughout his career so far, him just not being up to that level 
Everything else is sort of talking about the margins. He has to be better. And when Denver goes to him in the post against a player like Bruno Fernando, not a, which is to say not a very good player, he's just got to be able to take him and, and score some points. Denver needed that tonight. They didn't get it from him tonight. And I think that was a large part of, of, of why they struggled. We're going to take a break, but I know what you need right now. You need the Breckenridge beer. And I want to pump. Uh, I want to tell you about the uh, Avalanche Ale, the Amber Ale, which is my personal favorite. I do like the Vanilla Porter Jr. I do like the Colorado Core. Colorado Core might be my favorite. Avalanche Amber or, or the Colorado Core. Those two are. It's like a tie. Depends on on the season, how warm it is. Avalanche Amber, though, a really really delicious beer, malty beer. Um, that if you haven't tried it out. <laughs> race to the store and do that. You're going to need some after listening to the show, this downer of a show. Um, but a great beer and a great sponsor of, of, of everything that we have going on at DNVR right now. Not just a, an advertiser, but a true sponsor and a true partner um, that really helps us do a lot of the stuff that we want to do. So check them out. And then if you do, of course, let us know what you think of it. Send me a tweet. Um, you know, Shoot us a message and let us know. Maybe even a picture of you drinking one and we'll feature you, of course. If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the uh, extensive selection of some uh, hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful in helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. Second unit checked in and they just looked really rough in the half court. One of the themes and one of the things I'm really concerned about for this Nuggets team, if you were to like to rank my levels of concern, high up on the list, if not number one, it wasn't the defense. Tonight the story was the defense. The defense was terrible. They gave up 125 points. The offense actually operated statistically at a decent level. But what did we see when we were watching this team? They just looked so robust, so clunky, and so out of sorts, so joyless, and so just unlike the team that we have come to know and that second unit I thought the first unit and the first stint looked okay for they were great for the first like two or three minutes they looked okay for the rest wasn't concerned about it but when that second unit checked in and you're talking about a unit that's Monte Morris, Tory Craig, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, um, Michael Porter Jr. for portions of it, but not not the portion I'm talking about right now. That half court offense just looked like I mean there was a lot of standing around. Where are we supposed to be? Um, a lot of like running an initial action, it not working, and then having nowhere to go after it. Um, very very concerning the half court. It started right here, and a lot of that clunkiness in the half court led to transition opportunities for Atlanta. And it was that second quarter that they really 
really started going, uh, you know, into the first, but then into the second quarter that they really started to get going. So um, I don't know that Michael Malone, and he alluded to this after the game, Michael Malone's not a guy that likes to make adjustments when you are winning. And anybody that's watched the Nuggets narrowly edge out a win over Minnesota, narrowly edge out a win over uh, Philadelphia, narrowly get the win over Orlando, um, anybody that watched those games, I don't think anybody would say, oh yeah, everything's working, there's no adjustments to be made. But Michael Malone, you know, one of his more negative qualities is that he's a pretty stubborn guy. Um, and I think sometimes when it's winning, it's like, well, let's not mess with it because it's winning. Well, now the Denver Nuggets just lost to a team they absolutely should have won- beat. And and now I wonder if that means he's going to make adjustments to just sort of the five-in, five-out sort of style of rotations that he has had. He referred to this after the game. In his press conference, he mentioned, maybe I got to start doing that. And usually when Malone says stuff like that, it means he's it's on his mind and it's a thing that, that you know, he's ready to do. Well, I think um, I think it's probably overdue for him to make these sorts of uh, adjustments and start staggering the lineups. I want to see Jeremy. Jeremy Grant's been not very good for the Nuggets th- this year. And he's been a guy that's been taking a ton of... I mean, his shot profile right now is a guy that just takes a ton of three-pointers. That's not... The three-point shot was always, um, for him, it's something that he added to his game. You know, later on, it wasn't a, a big part of it his first two seasons in the NBA. But it's always been, even last year, it was like a part of his off of his arsenal. It's like a counterpunch to some of the other stuff that he does. Right now, I feel like it's the only shots he's getting other than dunks. I mean, he gets a couple dunks every now and then, and he gets an awful lot of three-point shoot uh, three-point shots that I just don't have faith in him hitting, especially at the rate that he's at. Um, but Nuggets were up 34-25 in the, in the quarter. Michael Porter Jr. starts the second quarter in his defense, you know, all of the Nuggets make some of these errors, but with Michael Porter Jr., we're talking about he's trying to break into the rotation. Malone keeps saying, you know, he has to do, you know, he has to earn these minutes or whatever. Well, one of the things he has to do to earn them is he has to be better with his transit, like just his little easy buckets. There's one clip, and it's going to be on the list tomorrow, where he is actually, there's two clips of him in transition. One, he's standing neck and neck with Kevin Herter, and the shot goes up, rebound gets grabbed, and Kevin Herter ends up getting a, a fast break layup while Michael Porter Jr. had barely crossed half court. So Kevin Herter had basically run twice as far as Michael Porter Jr. did um, in getting back in transition. Another play uh, that happened, he Porter Jr., he actually does match up with his guy who runs and sprints to the corner, but he just kind of nonchalantly get, you know, Goes to the uh, goes goes back, stands kind of uh, five. I, I don't know, maybe ten feet away from his defender. The pass goes to him, and Michael Porter Jr. just kind of walks up to him and watches him drain a three pointer right in his face. I mean, he he gets a hand up late, but it's those type of defensive efforts that I think Malone looks at and just says, "Man, this guy's not ready." Now, I think you have to play him, and I think you have to coach him along the way. But I also understand that going to the tape, he looks at it and says, man, you're not getting minutes. I'm telling you, you have to earn minutes. And you go out there and just don't contest. You don't get back on these types of plays. Like, I can imagine how maddening it is for Michael Malone, and and that's why he keeps him on the bench. So um, some frustrating plays for Michael Porter Jr., which has been the case when he has been on the court so far. But here's where things changed. This second quarter, Trey Young got going, and he got going from – 
deep, some deep three-pointers. He was lighting up Torrey Craig. So Torrey Craig's in there for defense, and he's in there to stop Trey Young. Some guys Torrey Craig has a very good impact on, and some guys he does not. We can put Trey Young on the list of players he does not have any impact on. Trey Young got going in that second quarter, and a lot of those to start were right in Torrey Craig's face or with Torrey Craig as the primary defender that just put up little to no resistance. And look, Trey Young's good. Three games in a row now with 30 points or more and 10 assists, and tonight he had 42 and 11. Just He is a fantastic player. He is a better player than Jamal Murray, and I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, and I'm not I'm not trying to pile on him, but Trey Young's effect on the game is so different, and an effect on the way you guard him is so different, and tonight, one of the storylines to me was just how stark of a contrast Jamal Murray's style was to Trey Young's style, and the effect that, that those two styles had, so I'm going to talk about that, I'm going to put, you know, tease that just a little bit, but we're, we're going to come back to it. Um... Jokic later on in this quarter when when the Hawks had go on got on a run and I think taken a one point lead they go to Jokic to try to settle things he's got Damian Jones on him Hawks do not help they do not send the help Jokic has a one on one in the post and he can't get a very good shot off he ends up throwing up a really disgusting look that had no chance and then turning to the official Jokic has to be better I mean for whatever reason Jokic almost feels like he's zapped his superpowers like he's lost him a little bit and he's ineffective against some of these no name post defenders it's really crazy and the floodgates just started opening up for Atlanta. Trey Young was getting anywhere he wanted on the court, uh, either to the rim to score, pulling up some really tough shots that quite frankly, for most guys, I think you would say, man, we would give him that. But he's right now he's in a zone over these last couple games where he's knocking him down. And maybe this is who he is. He's always been a guy that could put up points. I mean, he obviously did this his rookie year as well. But the the nights like tonight, he looked like Steph Curry. And I've never thought he was going to be a Steph Curry type score. He was a he was a much better passer. And just the way he runs an offense is actually really incredible. He's a super high IQ, great feel player, um, slippery player that gets wherever he wants. And he was doing that tonight, but he was also hitting some shots that if that's him, he's like a legitimate MVP candidate. If, if he hits shots like he did tonight, um, and, and then there was just several Jokic just not being able to score one-on-one. Um, the Nuggets weren't even getting good looks off of those post entries, and that's a real concern to me. That you, One of the things that make Jokic valuable is you can run that top-of-the-key game, um, and, and I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit as well, especially as we get to the fourth quarter. But then if that's not working, you go down to the block and you operate from there. Well, Jokic was ineffective from both spots tonight, and it's really, really concerning that a team like the Hawks could get away with not sending a double team. The Nuggets made a run in the first few minutes of the third. So I've, I've got a lot of people that, you know, the Nuggets themselves even said piss poor effort. I think Monte Morris said that. And it definitely was a piss poor a piss poor effort in the fourth quarter, especially the back half of the fourth quarter once Jokic came in. I think he in particular gave a piss poor effort tonight. Um, but I thought in the first half of this game, especially on rewatch, the Nuggets tried. They were ineffective, and their offense was clunky, and their defense did some things, and and, and Trey Young got hot. But I thought they tried. In the third quarter, they came out and cut the lead. They were down 12. They come and cut the lead almost immediately um, down to like four. And they were trying. They were flying around. Um they were ignoring Jokic, and this was a sign of things to come, but uh, some of their half-court offense teams are just now allowing Jokic to take wide-open threes, and it's really mucking up some of what they're trying to do in the half-court. Um, but Denver, they at least came out with some energy and effort, and they made a run, and they cut that lead down, as you would expect the home team to do when you have a, like a double-digit deficit going into the half. You always expect the home team to come out swinging. But then Jamal Murray got absolutely lit up by Trey Young on like six possessions in a row. Trey Young 
Young just phenomenal tonight, especially when it mattered. Um, and and Jamal Murray after that stretch was just getting absolutely destroyed and was not able to punish Trey Young on the other end. That's the other. That's the part of his. One of the things about a player like Trey Young is he's so small he can't be a good defender. He's just too little. But so you would want to say like if he's on the court he's going to be a liability and you're going to have to make him pay for it as good as he is offensively you can outgun him. But Jamal Murray wasn't doing that in this game. He wasn't really breaking Trey Young down. He wasn't getting to spots on the court that made the defense react. Um, and it was really, really tough. Around three minutes left in the quarter, Jokic started playing like really lazy, maybe tired. He might have run out of gas. So I thought he was okay in the first, you know, eight minutes of this quarter. But then I don't know if Malone left him in too long or if he just got gas. But there was a couple possessions where he just really quit playing. One in particular, you know, there's a pick and roll. Jokic did a good job of showing up top, but then he kind of just like walks back. When you show up on the ball, this is on the list, by the way. When you show up in a pick and roll up at the three point line and you get big and you get your arms out there wide and you make them pick up the dribble, then you have to sprint back and recovery. The play's not over. You just did a good job of containing the guard, the ball handler, and the pick and roll. But then you got to sprint back so that the guy who rotated over to cover the rolling guy can rotate back to his guy and so on and so forth. And Jokic just kind of waddled back. Then when that pass went to Alex Lynn, rather than just get in position and allow that pass to go and then force Alex Lynn, you know, Alex Lynn would have caught the ball about, oh, 10 feet away from the basket on the right side of the court. Just get in position to where you're between him and the hoop and make Alex who's not a player at all, he's a terrible player, make him have to put the ball on the floor or make a post move or something, and you like your odds. So instead, Jokic goes for the steal, which he had no business going for because he didn't hustle to get back in the first place, goes for the steal, and then Alex Lynn gets a wide-open dunk. And you're just thinking, man, not only did you go back lazy on defense, but you also made a dumb read once you started doing it, and it cost your team two points. Malone immediately pulled Jokic out of the lineup after that. I mean, it was his regular rotation too, but it was one of those ones where he watched that play happen and said, okay, Mace, you're, you're, you're up. Go, go and get him. But that, to me, that specific play marked the beginning of the end for this Denver Nuggets team. They made a run. They got it close. But that play was the first time where it was like, okay, this team, now the team is starting to not play very hard. And it all started with, and sadly, it all started, to, um, in my opinion, with Nikola Jokic. Before we get going too far, I do want to remind you that today's show is presented by Total Beverage. As our podcast always is, is presented by Total Beverage, another great partner for us. 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, dirty 30. That's right. Total Bev is giving the DNVR family 30% off your purchase of $25 or more. With a max purchase of $75, use code DNVR2019. DNVR 2019 online or on the Total Beverage app, which you can download today. It's really, really great. And as you may not know, Total Beverage delivers to most of the metro area from Lakewood to Boulder and from Aurora to Brighton. And they have the lowest prices in the state. Plus, they now offer CBD products. That's right. From drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today and receive 30% off your purchase of $25 or more, the match, max purchase of $75. Better yet, don't leave the comfort of your home and get it delivered. The fourth quarter, it's crazy. You take Jokic out and then that second unit who played terrible in the first half started playing a lot better um, in the fourth quarter to start the fourth quarter. The Monte, one of the things was that, you know, here's where we're really going to get into sort of the, the the X's and O's of what is happening with the Nuggets right now. I don't have the answer to how to fix it, but I know it's I know some of the things that are happening. That Monte Plumley 
um, combo was so effective tonight. And they had a couple, you know, lobs to each other or not to each other. Monte had some lobs to Mason Plumley. Um, but one of the reasons they were able to um, do that is that they were putting pressure on the rim. And this is the one thing that Jokic doesn't do as an offensive player. He can't put pressure on the rim because he's just not a very vertical threat. Now, he can put pressure on the rim in other ways, short rolls, going to the block, sealing guys down low. And after the game, Malone talked about that. Like, hey, we like you picking and popping. And Jokic is making the right read oftentimes in popping in a vacuum. If that big drops so low to protect the rim and just take away any shots at the rim, then you pop high and you knock down the three. Well, Jokic wasn't knocking down the three and you could say okay well and and to which I actually do say I would still pop him if he is going to pop I'd still pop and I'd tell him to fire away because look if you don't make that shot and you don't take it then the Nuggets are just not going to win anyway so um so I'm fine with him taking those many threes as he did when he was popping up top but sometimes if you don't have confidence and it was clear to me tonight that Jokic didn't have confidence in a shot if you don't have confidence to pull the trigger then you need to roll it's not the best option the the paint gets really congested when you're guy is just protecting the rim and not even worried about you outside of maybe five feet but if you're not going to shoot the three and you're not going to shoot it with confidence and you're not going to knock it down from time to time then you got to work on something else. But that second unit, Mason Plumlee was working in large part because he was such a lob threat and he was putting pressure on the rim and he was starting to collapse the defense. Um, and, and so that was working. The second unit started rolling. Um, Nuggets made, so they made this great run with Jokic on the bench and they cut it to 101-101. And I think if you were watching at home and, and if if you just had been watching this team the whole time, you think, okay, classic Nuggets. They're not going to be fun. They're not going to blow teams out when they should, but here it is the fourth quarter and now they're getting serious and they're probably going to pull away. That's what I thought. It was an ugly game, but I thought, okay, here they're going to start doing it. Just start attacking. Just start going at the rim. And they started doing that and it was working. Um, but... Then Jokic checks back in, and the last six minutes, which usually you think, okay, Jokic's back in, here we go, ready to roll, um, team's about to go. Jokic checks back in, and I thought the Nuggets' offense just reverted into this completely stagnant and confused offense because, in part, the way that Atlanta was guarding them. Now, here's where I want to talk about um, the difference between Trey Young and Jamal Murray. If you watch tonight's game, Trey Young put an enormous amount of pressure on the defense to step out and extend beyond their comfort zone. You're talking about Nikola Jokic, him having to guard, come all the way out to the three-point line to show on a pick and roll or above. If you're talking about Gary Harris, chasing him around these screens because he could pull up at any moment. As soon as he crosses the other side of the screen, he could go into a shooting motion. So you're always running. And then, of course, Trey Young drew a foul because he stopped at one point and Gary just ran into him because he was so concerned about chasing him as close as he could over the screen. That is how the three-point shot puts pressure on a defense. It's not just the shots you hit. It's what does it do to the defense and how does it affect you. And this is why they were able to grab so many offensive rebounds tonight. This is why they had so many shots at the paint. And this is why they had so many kick-out three-pointers of which they shot a high volume. Now let's contrast that to the way Jamal Murray has run this offense. And I did. I highly recommend if you're listening to this show to read the deep dive, the list from Tuesday. Uh, it was really it was an, an addition of the list, but it really talked about why the Nuggets just aren't generating three-point shots. And a lot of this, in my opinion, has to do with Jamal Murray, who, to give you a sense of what Jamal Murray has become, especially this year, he's a point guard to DeMar DeRozan in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is, 
he is hunting for shots that the defense is gladly allowing him to have. And in nights night like tonight, he wasn't even knocking them down. Usually, you know, forty one percent from the mid range. That's good. It's not great, but it's good. Um, but if you watch Trey Young, Denver was flying around to prevent him from getting any shots off, but especially any three point shots off. And he was just able to bend them and move them around however he wanted. Jamal Murray tonight was largely allowed to take the shots that he wanted to take, which were a lot of these free throw line pull ups or step backs or sidestep mid-range jump shots and it's because their defense as most NBA defenses is designed to not necessarily just give guys like wide open walk into rhythm mid-range jump shots but they're they're designed to not give team shots at the rim first and foremost and not to give them that three-point shot um, uh, you know wide open kick out three-point shots and the way you sort of stretch them out is to be a threat like Trey Young and in particular a threat to come off of that pick and roll step right out to the three-point line and knock down shots Tonight, Jamal Murray 0 for 4 from the three-point line, and two of those came in the final like three minutes of the game. So for most of the game, he was 0 for 2. Meanwhile, Trey Young was 8 for 13. He shot 61% on 13 attempts. Those 13 attempts are as important as the 8 makes, or almost as important as the 8 makes, because that was the, the Denver defense having to react to that. To me, this is a real problem. Jamal Murray is not taking three-point shots this year for whatever reason, only 4.6. In fact, I think after tonight... Jokic is now attempting more three-pointers than Jamal Murray is. And this is a real problem because as good as Jamal Murray has been as this all-around scorer, it seems like he has gone from being a three-point shooter as a college player and as a rookie to now like a three-point is just part of his arsenal, but a bigger part of his arsenal is that mid-range game. And to me, that just doesn't move the defense around the way the same way that it does for Trey Young. The, the contrast between those two was awfully stark. But then the second contrast is Jokic. You know, Jokic is not, I don't, in my opinion, a 25% three-point shooter, which is what he's shooting. I think he might be lower than that. I think he might be down now around 20%. He's not a, tw- if he's a 20% three-point shooter, then Denver's not a good team at all. They're just not. And, and Jokic's value as a player would be a lot lower. But we know he's a better three-point shooter than that. I said I think he's 37%. Career, he's 34. I'm starting to worry he might be actually just a 34% three-point shooter, which is like just good enough to get a green light, but not good enough to really bend the defense. In teams this year, I talked about this again in my article about why Denver's not generating three-point looks and good three-point looks. Teams are not guarding Jokic out at the three-point line. They've maybe looked at all of the data and they've looked at the Nuggets now for a couple years and they said, look, when you guard Jokic up on the perimeter, they're really good at slicing and cutting and, and getting you in pick and roll and all these things. Jokic is an okay three-point shooter who's capable of beating you from the outside, as we saw in the Portland game in game one. He's capable of that. But that might be the best bad option that you have. And Jokic so far this season has rewarded teams for doing that by shooting 24% or below 24% from the three-point line. So this is a problem that's not going to be solved. Jokic is going to have to up that three-point percentage. I don't think he can cannot take threes. If teams are not going to guard him in the pick and pop, then he has to do it. Otherwise, you're, what you're basically doing is playing four on five with one guy who's only protecting the rim. Jokic's guy, only protecting the rim. We saw it with Joel Embiid. We've seen it um, with several teams now, but we saw it, I think, most pronounced tonight with the Atlanta Hawks, and it's a huge, huge problem for the Denver Nuggets right now. Even at the elbow, there's a position that I'll show on the list. They run, again, Denver's offense looks confused, and and if they were just missing shots tonight, you could chalk that up, but the fact that they kind of looked at each other, there's this one play in particular 
the running C corner. Murray gives the ball to Jokic on the elbow, cuts down to the block, but then looks at Jokic because it's just like, are you going to shoot it? Am I going to keep running this play? What are we doing? Nobody's guarding Jokic. He's on the elbow. He's at the free throw line with nobody guarding him, and he turns and faces up and fires up a brick. And it's just, if, if this is what is gonna, this is gonna be a thing that's a roadblock for the Nuggets until they get over it. Um, so their their clutch time offense completely head head scratching. Um, and, and I think as much as you can't panic game by game, and if last game was you know a high, you can't get too low after this one. But there are there are some things that happened in this game that are sort of things that have been happening in every game, and and that to me is why this has been so concerning. So tough one tonight. Oh, lastly, I do have to talk about Gary Harris because I've talked about him a lot, especially on the list and his inability to get to the free throw line. Let me go ahead and say that Gary Harris and his defense has been solid. You know, he didn't have the impact on Trey Young that you would have hoped, but he was, certainly was a better option than Jamal Murray or or, or Will Barton or who Will Barton who got nut, nutmegged by um, by Trey Young. He's certainly the best of all of the options Denver was able to throw at him tonight. But I don't know that he was a good enough option defensively to warrant the four for fifteen that he was and just the complete drag that he has been on the on the Denver offense so far this season. He did late in the game finally knock down a pair of three pointers. But right now, when he catches the ball wide open on the wing, you don't feel good about it. And more to the point, some of the shots he is taking in the offense, those floaters from the free throw line, are just, he shouldn't be shooting them. It's weird. I've talked to a lot of the players on the team in Malone about this, and everybody's just like, oh, that's a shot he can hit. Not true. Like no player in the league can hit the floater at a rate high enough to be taking five a game, and and that's kind of where he's at right now is taking so many of those floaters that, in my opinion, have very little chance of being an efficient form of offense. So Gary Harris to me is officially, and I hate to say this because ten games is a big enough sample size. I, to me, ten games is when you can start to assess these types of things. Gary Harris to me is a real concern, and to the point where I think you look at it and you start to think. Not does Denver have to make a move like with a starter or this or that, but does Denver have to like shut him, give him a little bit of the Tory Craig treatment? As in, we don't need you taking 15 shots a night. You can't you're you can't be as that important to the offense to be taking 15 shots if you're constantly shooting floaters and just these inefficient shots and not do- knocking down your three. So Denver, I think a lot of symptoms right now of a greater problem that's going on with them. And if you're a Nuggets fan, you have to be awfully concerned. That's it for me today, guys. I am going to be back tomorrow um, with a brand new episode, probably joined by Brendan Vogt, maybe Harrison Wind. Try to do something a little bit more broad and hopefully a little bit more fun and optimistic. The Denver Nuggets do have a great chance to bounce back now against uh, the Brooklyn Nets, another team that's not great, but certainly capable of uh, and a point, a dynamic point guard capable of sort of exploiting them in this exact way. But this was an ugly loss. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And this one really, really, really could come back to bite Denver at the end of the year. Thanks for tuning in everybody i'll be back again tomorrow 